Late in the fall of his 11th year, Ishan walked home from school surrounded by his siblings and the other children in his large neighborhood on the outskirts of West Bengal, India. The children made the same trek twice a day, although the walk home always felt longer. There was a chill in the air, the colder months were coming, and that meant it would be much more bearable to spend time outdoors. The hot summer weather was debilitating, and Ishan looked forward to exploring local markets and streets with his big brothers. Upon returning home that day, Ishan laid down for a rest. His mother thought this was unusual. The walk home was long, but it never took this much energy out of her young boy before. The other children completed their evening tasks. They collected water, hung clothing outside to dry, and cut potatoes. But Ishan sat. He had chills, and his mother felt his fever. It wasn't long before more drastic symptoms began. He was experiencing nausea and was vomiting by the next morning. Without a vehicle, health insurance, or the funds to take Ishan to a medical facility, he was forced to remain home under the care of his mother. Later that day, a longtime friend, who was a nurse, was called by a neighbor. He came to assess Ishan and his condition. They worried he had the notorious coronavirus. It had plagued the surrounding city of West Bengal for a full year. But they all had the vaccine months ago. It was distributed home to home and they all received the full dose. This all didn't make any sense. The nurse suggested that Ishan should come with him back to the hospital 70 miles away. The nurse had some suspicions and it didn't look good. After the long journey to the hospital on the back of a motorbike, Ishan was told that he had tested positive for VRV, Vitiated Reservoir Virus. Okay, welcome everybody. That was just a quick story about a young boy living in India who found out that he does in fact have VRV or Vitiated Reservoir Virus. And on today's podcast, we're going to be talking about VRV itself, the history of the illness, its transmission, and how it has become a major global health issue. So we're going to just begin with the basics. Vitiated reservoir virus is a communicable or an infectious disease. And just to recap, infectious diseases are those that are caused by a specific agent that arises through transmission of that agent or its products from an infected person, animal, or reservoir to a susceptible host either directly or indirectly through an intermediate plant or animal host, vector, or the inanimate environment. More broadly, VRV is a blood-borne infection that targets weak immune system cells and makes it increasingly difficult for the body to fight off infections. Some of the most common initial symptoms of VRV include fever, fatigue, chills, muscle aches, vomiting, and diarrhea. As these symptoms are similar to those of COVID-19, many have actually confused VRV for COVID itself. VRV is characterized as an acute illness, 
the disease process occurs very quickly and has a sudden onset. So this is exemplified by its relatively short incubation period of between one to seven days. Now, it's important to note that acute illnesses are not always severe. They may be short-lived, but they also have the possibility of progressing into a chronic condition. And if that does happen, death can occur. VRV is not passed on easily from one person to another, meaning it's not highly contagious. This is because the virus doesn't spread through the air like cold or flu viruses or like SARS-2. VRV lives in the blood and in some body fluids, and to get vitiated reservoir virus, one of these fluids from someone with VRV has to get into your body. To recap, this disease is not that contagious, but it is highly virulent. Next, we're going to talk a bit about what led to this disease in the first place and why its incidence has risen so dramatically in the past year. When the vaccine for COVID-19 was released, it took a long time for it to arrive in the developing world. But when it did, it was up to each jurisdiction to facilitate their own way to distribute it to rural hospitals and communities. Like we heard in the case study of Ishan, his entire family had access to the vaccination. But how does the COVID-19 vaccination increase the rate of VRV? When the vaccine was distributed in countries with high populations and a lack of access to essential services like medical care, clean water, and lax regulations, the needles were discarded improperly. VRV is not a new disease. It's been around since the late 1990s when it was considered a neglected tropical disease. During the beginning of the widespread distribution of polio vaccines in the 1990s, VRV was common in densely populated areas like India, Bangladesh, and countries in sub-Saharan Africa. These countries are among many that have reported to have waste management issues, particularly with waste generated from healthcare facilities. And this, unfortunately, is still true today. VRV is increasingly becoming more of an issue in the developed world as it has the possibility of occurring here if we do not ensure a proper regulation of biomedical waste. But the main areas where VRV is the most prevalent is still in the developing world. The needles from the COVID vaccinations themselves, PPE equipment like single-use masks and gloves, and other medical instruments were not disposed of properly in the developing world. And due to this lack of appropriate biomedical waste removal protocol, the hazards were left in the streets and in fields where the medical waste was not secure, and people and animals had open access to them. Next, it's important to discuss the transmission of vitiated reservoir virus. So VRV is transmitted when individuals come into contact with medical waste due to its improper disposal. This has become increasingly more relevant with the excess of COVID-19 vaccinations internationally, and VRV is spread relatively easily depending on the environment. Like we said, VRV is spread through discarded needles and medical waste. It is also spread through animals, as zoonic diseases, to humans through consumption of contaminated animals or water. VRV can also be spread from human to human through sexual intercourse or other physical connections. 
Transmission may occur through direct contact, such as with the saliva of an animal infected that has actually grazed upon the medical waste and touched it or engaged with it in some way, or through the consumption of that contaminated animal's tissues. Um, This is similar as to which parasitic infections are transmitted. So this is an example of a zoonic disease, but it is also spread from human to human and through human vehicle contact. Rather than the disease having been passed directly from human to human or from animal to human, the spread of disease in this situation is facilitated by vehicles. So vehicles are the inanimate objects that harbor these pathogens. Um, These are examples of these things are contaminated things like water, food, or bodily fluids. A special class of vehicle that we will discuss is called a fomite which is a non-moving object such as a doorknob, medical waste, towels, surgical instruments, or countertops. And this is actually a common way by which hospital-based infections spread. So when someone has contact with or consumption of the vehicle, it will facilitate exposure to the disease agent, with some of the most notable diseases in human history have actually followed this mode of transmission, Um, For example, we can remember about cholera and smallpox. So this is actually the most critical disease transmission system with respect to waste disposal. To get a bit more scientific, the direct transmission of VRV can be vertical. For example, it can be intergenerational from a mother to her child, but it can also be horizontal and it can occur between people through human-to-human contact. Also, as I mentioned, it can be transmitted indirectly. This means that VRV occurs when disease spreads without direct human-to-human contact, including the vehicles and through fecal and, sorry, fecal and oral um, consumption through, like we said, water and food. It is also important to mention that VRV is not spread through aerosols or airborne particles. VRV is both a nosocomial transmission infection, which means that the diseases are acquired in healthcare settings like hospitals, but VRV is also a community transmission infection where diseases are acquired in the community and spread alike. VRV is also found in disease reservoirs where infectious agents reside, including the animal population, particularly um, animals that are grazing upon the areas where the medical waste may be discarded, like cows, pigs, chickens, birds, as well as the human groups may be coming into contact with this medical waste as well. But it also harms the non-living environment in areas like bodies of water and can infiltrate into cesspools as well. It's now time to talk about the surveillance of vitiated reservoir virus and we will overview an epidemiological triangle of this issue. So when we're speaking of VRV, the host in this instance is the organism that is harboring the illness and in our case it is the human population 
but we also must consider, like we mentioned earlier, that this is also a zoonic disease. So zoonic diseases normally have an animal host population called the reservoir, which will circulate within the animal reservoir and enter human hosts as a result of contact with the reservoir population. The agent is what is causing the ill health, and in our case, it is the VRV virus itself. The environment includes all the things outside of the human host that supports the existence and any extent reservoir population. The disease agent and any factors that facilitate its spread. In our case, it is the contaminated water sources, contaminated food, which comes from the infected animal population. The altitude of geography also plays a role as it can lead to runoff of waste into water sources. Um, another thing that plays a role is crowding in the neighborhoods, which um, larger neighborhoods means that there's an increased amount of vaccines that were distributed, which will lead to an increased chance of illness due to the improper regulation. Using the population in our case study, we can determine the incidence, prevalence, and mortality rates of West Bengal. So although data is difficult to attain in an isolated area such as this one, we are able to determine that the overall number of cases over an isolated period. We determine that the prevalence of VRV is 556.7 per 1,000 or 55.6%. We were also able to determine the number of new cases during an allotted time period that allowed us to calculate incidence. Um, and for incidence, we concluded that 329.1 people per year, or 32.9%, got VRV. We were also able to calculate the R0, or the basic reproduction number of VRV. The R0 are gauges of how many people an infected person will, on average, infect. Um, calculating the R0 can help us to make good predictions on what will happen next in relation to the spread of VRV. And in this case specifically, we concluded that the R0 is 5.5. What is important to discuss next is the disease burden of VRV. So VRV is most common in developing countries as there are multiple social determinants of health that create an unequitable environment for the populations in regard to health and health safety. So these countries were not prepared to handle the mass amount of medical waste that was created from the pandemic and the eventual vaccine. The poor medical waste management strategies did not stop there. Syringes were actually left on the ground. They were also burnt and disintegrated using incinerators, which has actually also contributed to many problems for individual health and plays an environmental impact through worsening global warming due to the excess burning. VRV was able to thrive and spread in these communities as there was no policy regarding proper sanitation of medical equipment and no to little regulations for consuming contaminated water and animals. But due to the increase in the international distribution of the COVID-19 vaccine, medical waste was at an all-time high, even in the most isolated areas, and a lot of people actually took advantage of these hazards 
One of the biggest risks for the developing world when it comes to VRV is the disposals of sharps, including needles, scalpel blades, blood vials, and glassware that are in contact with the infectious germs. It is also important to note that there is a high cost associated with these safety boxes that are used for the proper disposal of sharps. You may see them in the Western world around hospitals and medical facilities where after a physician or doctor or nurse has used a sharp, they put it into one of those yellow boxes so it is properly disposed of. Um, but as these come with a lot of high prices, they're not found in a lot of developing countries. And in fact, in many Asian countries, they have actually started to produce these boxes locally, which does bring down the cost, but access to them is not restricted once they are filled with sharps and needles. These waste disposal sites where they're leaving the vaccinations and medical waste are situated in large fields, in inner city streets near sewage, and even near water sources like rivers and ponds where families come to collect water. Hygiene and waste management is essential to health, and if there are not waste management strategies in place and waste gathered at a healthcare facility is not segregated or disposed of properly, people, rodents, and small animals can spread illnesses. Open burning and the incineration of healthcare waste can, under some circumstances, result in the emissions of dachshunds and particulate matter. Measures to ensure the safe and environmentally sound management of health care wastes can prevent adverse health and environmental impacts from such waste, including the unintended release of chemicals or biological hazards, including drug-resistant microorganisms into the environment, thus protecting the health of patients, healthcare workers, and the general public. Additional hazards occur from scavenging at waste disposal sites and during the handling and manual sorting of hazardous waste from healthcare facilities. These practices are common in many regions of the world, especially in low to middle income countries. The waste handlers are at immediate risk of needle stick injuries and exposure to toxic or infectious materials. Police and health authorities have also discovered warehouses filled with recycled medical waste waiting to be sold on the black market. Needles and syringes, which should have been disposed of, were instead collected from healthcare facilities by waste pickers. They were then allegedly cleaned, repackaged, and resold to medical clinics on the black market. Next, I will discuss some of the ripple effects that are associated with VRV and some of the impacts of the disease besides the actual illness itself. So when there's a high incidence of VRV, it causes um, a burden on the healthcare system as they are having a lot of patients coming in seeking treatment for the illness. VRV is also detrimental to the environment when they are using the incinerators or burning the medical waste. It is very hazardous for the human environment um, as well as it contaminates water sources and food sources. VRV is also very hazardous and harmful to animals who are spreading the virus and the ones that are tampering or grazing upon the biomedical waste. 
And lastly, it is harmful as the black markets are profiting off of the sale of the medical waste. And this is ultimately creating an underground economy. And although it is good that there was a widespread implementation of COVID-19 vaccinations, the way that the international community handled the medical waste from this scenario was very troublesome and eventually led to the RV itself. Now you may be asking yourself, is VRV preventable? And you would be correct if you said yes. VRV is entirely preventable, and with proper disposal strategies, the spread of the illness would not have occurred. There is no question that medical interventions such as vaccinations and antibiotics are important. And the fact that the COVID-19 vaccination was able to be distributed quickly and to the most remote areas is great. But we cannot stop there. We need to do the whole job. It is clear that much of the benefit to public health results from interventions that predate treatment. Through social determinants of health, lessening of the burden of disease on populations can be achieved through the modification of living conditions. The prevalence of VRV would be decreased if there were improvements in housing quality, nutrition, clean water and food sources, working conditions, equality of opportunity, and income distribution, among other things. But we cannot forget about the true root of the problem, which is the lack of medical waste disposal policy. We can look at methods to prevent VRV, and through primary prevention, which are interventions at the population level that are intended to reduce the occurrence of diseases, we can make suggestions like do not buy medical equipment like syringes or gloves from anywhere other than a registered medical facility. Or, for example, another um, intervention would be to release statements saying that it is advised to only drink filtrated water. We can also invoke secondary prevention techniques that aim to reduce suffering and improve disease outcomes, which includes developing screening tests that can identify those exhibiting early signs of the disease. As well, they may undertake drug trials to evaluate the efficacy of pharmaceuticals that are intended to reduce the risks of VRV. The notion here is relatively straightforward. If you haven't been able to prevent the development of the disease, then diagnosing it and treating it early in the course of the disease may prolong life and reduce disability and suffering. Thirdly, we can look at tertiary prevention techniques, which happen when the disease has already advanced and been treated, but some sort of intervention is required to ameliorate the impact of the disease on longevity or quality of life. We can also look at quaternary prevention, which is incredibly important in the case of VRV. Quaternary prevention minimizes the possible harms that come from treatment or intervention. This would mean that the hospitals will follow infectious control features and clean equipment is always used and disposed of accordingly. To create an effective preventative strategy to reduce the occurrence of vitiated reservoir virus, we may look to the five pillars of public health as they offer us a way to understand how public health operates at a conceptual level. First, we must follow the evidence-informed public health approaches that are used internationally. 
As public health is based on evidence-based practice, we must root our regulations and restrictions on waste management with countries who have done a stand-up job with this in the past and where VRV is not as much as an issue. Next, we must rely we must rely on health promotion and preventative mechanisms to promote healthy lifestyles and practices. This includes things like sanitation. Next, we will look to primary health care, and although it is difficult to access health care in the developing world where VRV is most prevalent, we must find ways to recognize that medical health care is vital in early detection and interventions. And, importantly, we must foster good relationships with primary health care providers where possible. We must also consider the social determinants of health and truly see where they play a role in the many ways that they determine our health. And finally, we must look to a holistic care paradigm. We must think about health broadly and make the connection between how we live our lives, what our challenges are, and the sicknesses we are developing as a population. The future of VRV is not certain. There have been developments in treatment and progress has been made for remedying the illness in the developed world through antibiotics. But there is yet to be a cure or a vaccine. In the developing world, there is little to no access to antibiotics, which further perpetuate this issue and reaffirms the many inherent ethical or social issues associated with VRV and the inequitable access to treatment for the populations who need it the most.